the music has everyone inside of it. Like there's something there for each of these people. And that's doing a thing. Like who broke Obama's heart? <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to Immigrantly, a weekly podcast that features deeply personal conversations around race, identity, multiculturalism, and the general messiness of being human. I am your host, Sadia Khan. Today is the last episode of season 13, which was all about love and relationships. Season 14 will start on April 26th, so stay tuned for all the information you can find some on our social media platforms as we speak by the way today also marks Shah Jahan's last day on Immigrantly podcast I had a blast co-hosting with him and while I'm sad that he won't be joining us in the next season I'm pretty sure our paths will cross in the future we are already working on a couple of projects so stay tuned for that so, Shah Jahan, do you want to introduce our today's guest? I absolutely do. And right before I do that, I just want to say thank you and thank you to the whole team. It's been a really, really amazing experience. And I can't believe it's over. But yeah, like you said, we have some stuff planned for the future. So this is not going to be the last you'll hear from both me and Sadia. Today's guest may be the one that I'm most excited about other than my mom. I have to say that. Um, <laughs> our guest today is somebody who defies the conventional boundaries of musical expression, Aruj Aftab, who I can proudly say is now a Grammy-winning Pakistani singer, composer, producer, and editor whose music has gained international recognition for its infusion of many genres. Her song, Mohabbat, which is actually what she won the Grammy for, was also featured on Barack Obama's list of favorite songs for the summer of 2021. Her music is usually described as, quote, neo-Sufi, as it heavily draws from the stylistic and structural components of Sufi music. She uses things like repetition, meters, and the use of specific instruments. It's really, really something super ethereal and all-encompassing. You can hear hints of all sorts of different stuff in there. Jazz, minimalism, Hindustani classical stuff weaved into her songs. Her third studio album, Vulture Prince, which was released last April, was receiving all sorts of praise from literally every music and news outlet you could imagine. And Aruj is also a very, very dear friend of mine. I've known her for a really long time. So... I am, and I think we are both really, really excited for this yeah. interview. Just so our listeners know, we actually did this a few weeks ago before Aruj was the winner, so you're going to hear us say things like Grammy-nominated throughout the interview. We had a feeling, but we just weren't sure that she was <laughs> going to be winning the Grammy just yet, so just just so you guys know that. Adding to what Shah Jahan just said, I am a huge fan of Aruj's music. I've been listening to it for years, so... Without further ado, let's get right into it. I think it's important for our listeners to understand your background a bit. You were born in Saudi Arabia, moved to Pakistan when you were 10. Music has been huge presence in your life, your friends, family, everybody likes music, they enjoy music. How did you start to explore and develop 
your own musical style. What was that journey like? A lot of the formidable teen years was just a lot of listening. I listened to a multitude of genres across the board, a lot of jazz, a lot of classical, a lot of Jeff Buckley, Crosby Stills and Nash, Hari Prasad Jarasia, Begum Akhtar, Reshma, massive sort of mix of things and just absorbing the beauty of music. And so for a very long time there was listening period, almost like a study or like an incubator of sound. As a musician you strive to develop something unique something that hasn't been done before and you try to understand what that is and why you want to do that and what it means for you and so i just spent the rest of my time trying to figure out what that was so what was that for you it came with time i think this is the first time with this record that a lot of that desire to create something that felt very special and felt very inherently mine it has taken this much time to mature musically and understand what that means it really exceeds the boundaries of geography and culture and tradition and becomes an amalgamation of all the experiences that i've had and it's a very personal music and so that music with vulture prince things finally clicked into place the jazz theory and swag aspect of it exists in its own space in the music and then the you know sort of love for acoustic guitar and american folk also clicked into the jazz part and then all the 12th century poetry from our regions took its place inside of it as well and then the nylon string guitar stuff the folkness joined and all of it clicked into place like some crazy voltron and that's something that i've been trying to do that just is because of i've lived in so many places and i've experienced so many different people and musics like the great college pothead phase and listening to a lot of reggae not that that is you know supposed to be what that is but you know what i mean like so many things that i've lived like what i've mm-hmm. lived is in the music now and i feel really proud of that because it has taken that long to get it there do you remember the first thing that you made that you were just like proud of you know like for me i'm thinking of being in a really shitty high school cover band. Okay, we were we were we were good. I shouldn't say we were shitty. <laughs> But like, you know, the first what was it? Tascam four track thing that I had and realizing mm-hmm. that I could take the tape and pan the controls to the left and the right and like play along mm-hmm, with myself mm-hmm. to some shitty beat that I'd made on my Yamaha keyboard and just being like, "Oh, this is a thing I can do too." When I picked up the guitar, and started to teach it to myself. I was making these weird sort of very ambient almost atonal prepared pieces, just like long instrumental things, almost kind of like Morton Feldman minimalist guitar instrumental pieces that felt so amazing and people would just be like, "What are you doing? Play Wonderwall," you know? <laughs> <laughs> But I remember those compositions. Those were like me com- me writing like guitar pieces. and just being really in love with the sound of the guitar and exploring that what did your first guitar look like you know that acoustic yamaha that's dark brown yes <laughs> of course of course of course my first one though was definitely like this electric blue chinese acoustic guitar which also is very much around on the market those <laughs> I ones. think my nanny actually bought me one of those it's a rite of passage i think yes <laughs> <laughs> So Aruj I want to talk about a specific song Mohabbat Mohabbat 
It's based on Ghazal written by Hafiz Hoshiarpuri. It was rendered by Farida Khanam and Mehdi Hassan. Why did you choose that particular song and create a rendition to basically bring it into the new from the old, right? But why that particular song? What What's the story behind that? I have always really, really loved the poetry that Hafiz Hoshiarpuri wrote. Specifically, I have always felt that there is a comedic aspect to it that doesn't really shine through in any of the renditions as incredible as they are. I think there's a dark humor there, especially like being Punjabi and the way you kind of say teri, you know, and then you don't finish the rest of the sentence. (laughs) (laughs) There's an attitude there. And I loved that. The fact that those two lines can fit anywhere. Those two lines are so deep. They can fit so many phases of your life. Like it could be a breakup. It could be that someone you loved passed away. It could be political. You know, it could be about a movement. It can be so many things. And the fact that Hafiz Hoshiarpuri just like says this thing that can be so many things, he just sums it up so beautifully. Like that always stayed with me. Those two lines are kind of like a lifelong friend to you. You know, they fit and they soothe you in many different moments. Yeah, so it's empowering as well. It has so many faces and you don't see a poetry like that for years, man, that has that kind of functionality in it. And so I've always cared about this poem and I was very, very careful about it too. I was like, I want my version to to say all of that as well. I want it to also have many colors and faces. Your album released almost a year ago, and I wonder if your relationship with loss, grief, and musical expression of that has evolved since Mohabbat. For sure, it has. Yeah, it has. It definitely has. Because I think everything that has happened since then has all helped, has all been like a function of growing around and growing with and through these life events that occurred that were extremely full of grief and loss. I'll probably say this again in the interview. I'm just so proud of you. You know, we've known each other. It's hard to believe, what, 14 years? Wow. And I just was kind of curious about your own mental health practices. You know, obviously, other than like, yes, I play music and sometimes it makes me feel better. Sometimes it actually makes me feel worse. But what are things that you have found maybe that either maybe they worked for you at one time or things that have evolved for you in in those kinds of practices? I mean, I think music has definitely been the biggest thing for me, even from like way back in the day. But aside from that, I've recently started to... I mean, I'm an extremely, as you know, I'm very, very extroverted. Like I love being out and about and like hanging out and, you know, interacting with people and hearing what's going on. That fuels my creativity a lot, right? Like just being on the scene. It's really fun for me. I'm such a night person. And I've just started to realize since this stuff happened, I kind of have pulled back quite a bit. And that's helped me a lot mentally. The degree of energy that sometimes ends up being spent isn't worth it. And I think that when you are a person who's kind of out there and really generous like that, people feel like it's okay to just like not be so respectful of you. So I've started to conserve my energy amongst people 
and too many hangs and stuff and that has helped me a lot to just not feel completely drained and exhausted hmm. that that makes a lot of sense Haruj, I want to circle back to your music, especially your lyrics. Now you primarily sing in Urdu which is amazing your songs are extremely evocative and for me they make a lot more sense because i understand the lyrics and i'm somebody who goes on these explorations of who i am and exploring my feelings through somebody else's music so whatever you're vocalizing i project my emotions onto that Why did you decide to keep Urdu as your primary language for expression of music? Is it because you connect with it more or you just wanted to connect with folks back home? I think it's mainly because Urdu speaks in analogy and minimalism in a way that I haven't yet found the right writers in English who are able to do that. Urdu poetry has functions inside of it that really appeal to me. It's like an elusive storytelling that I love. It's very metaphorical and it's just so beautiful. Especially these poets that I gravitate towards. There's just such great, beautiful, sensitive, graceful poetry in Urdu. To bhai kyuna? We have this treasure that says everything we need to say just that you're saying you know you project your feelings onto it like yeah like wo that those those poets and some of that poetry is well all of it pretty much is singing my song anyway so i feel like for now this is the jam you know i believe in arud you can correct me if i'm wrong the day that i met you was at a little radio station in lahore called fm 89 you were sitting behind a big desk smoking a cigarette and hiring me to be a a, a, <laughs> a vj on uh, the saturday morning show called city lounge I believe that's yeah. how I believe that's how we met. And that was you had just either you were back from your first trip to Boston at Berkeley or you were about to go to Boston. That part I can't remember. I know that it was 2008. So I I'm curious like in those early, you know, early years where you're you're finding yourself, you know, at Berkeley or whatever, people's kind of like know who you are in a certain way in Pakistan and then you're forging this new identity, right? What were some of the early challenges and maybe some of those early boxes that you got put in that was hard to like deal with in terms of your identity in that sense as an artist. You know, I have very little recollection of some of that stuff from back then. Maybe it's just like selectively buried or whatever, but I also <laughs> wasn't really performing at all like for the whole 5 years that I was at Berkeley. Like I didn't know anything, you know, like I didn't come from some Greek conservatory. I came knowing absolutely nothing of music production or jazz theory or any theory or any instrument playing or nothing like I just knew nothing and so I was there to acquire the tools that I needed to express myself musically and confidently like I had all these ideas but they were very raw right and so I focused on just learning and it was an overwhelming crazy curriculum Berkeley's insane and so I was just studying and performing a little bit but not even 
and writing songs for sure like you know Utherona which just came out on Friday I wrote that in 2005 mostly just acquiring the tools that I would need to actually write the thing that I wanted to write and that's a case in point like I wrote Utherona then but it wasn't ready at all I feel proud to put it out fucking last Friday there needs to be this process to where you find who you how what your real sound is and and I've just never wanted to put things out before that I guess because I was not really actively performing music even like you said when we met that was 2000 and maybe I think that was 2007 7 okay maybe so I I was 2 years into my program and I was there for like summer holidays and I just didn't want to be like hanging out Munizis and I was the head of FM89 in in Lahore and she was like hi school kaho gash let her produce the station for a month or two it's like only in Lahore can you just do that <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just give her the job. <laughs> But yeah, I was still in the sort of listening and learning stage at the time and so I there there wasn't a lot of like opportunity to box me anywhere. I really want to expand this conversation a little. You have mentioned in previous interviews that a big part of the reason why you chose to move to the US at 19 to study at the Berkeley College of Music was because you weren't coat down to fight the fight as a female musician in Lahore and coat do you think the cultural landscape of music has changed for female pakistani musicians has it become easier i can't speak to whether it's become easier or not because i i'm still not over there fighting the fight i'm just here i think the main reason for leaving was because i didn't really see any way that i could acquire the tools that i need like i didn't ha- i i what i wanted to learn was not being offered to me in lahore but also just from like being in the scene a little bit it was not at all the way that it is now back in 2004 and 2003 and even in like 2000 i was like man i have to do a lot of learning and a lot of searching and i want to make something that's bigger than me and that's bigger than this and if i need to do that then i also need to be free and if i am simultaneously fighting the patriarchy and all the nonsense of being a woman in a city like lahore where you can't just walk to the corner store kind of restricted anyway from day to day things and the city and the culture even if you're a guy people are just with you all the time and it's crazy <laughs> <laughs> And so I was just like man I have to go. And so it has changed a lot I think. I mean just because of the sheer amount of women who took up instruments and started playing stuff and felt confident to do it and are now all over the scene very boldly not caring about anything. The generations have really stepped up and and I think that that's amazing but I don't know if it's any less difficult. Yeah, I'm quite impressed with Coke Studio season 14. I saw Eva B rap. Jazma bhi dost goda dooste che fayde. Roj wa zan dusra wa hamesha ni raade. Man ho tera saath da te toka mu zyade. Mehranga dil asna badla ma vaade. She is somebody from Liari Karachi and she's doing such a phenomenal job and I think beyond that somebody who wears niqab and is producing such wonderful music is in itself activism in so many different ways but which people have also referred to you as an activist i'm curious to know or i wonder how activism 
if at all, manifests through your music? I think it doesn't manifest through my music very obviously because my music just kind of focuses on being nice. <laughs> <laughs> for me, the tool of music is not to use it literally as a device for activism, but use it as kind of like the buying chip. If you start to enjoy it and it starts to become popular and it starts to become a thing, then of course people are giving me the ability to speak more People are listening to what I say when I post on Instagram, like people are listening to me speak, right? And it's in those moments where then my stance on things can kind of find their place. Hmm. So it's not a conscious manifestation of activism, but as an outcome of what you're doing. Yeah, like when you talk to me, I'll say the things. I'm not a, a Sufi fairy. You listen to my music and you're drawn to me and then when you speak to me... I'll say all the things. And so that's kind of how I feel like the activism finds its place. I can't put it inside the music. It, the music feels like it's doing its own thing. It's interesting because the way I see your music, just having that multi-hyphenated identity and music, you have elements of neo-Sufism and then you have... South Asian classical music, you're bringing everything together and you you sing in Urdu. Your songs are on Obama's summer 2021 list. So to me, that in itself, just creating space, more inclusive and holistic space for everybody is an outcome of what you're producing and that can be construed as activism. The fact that it's occupying so many different spaces is really, I think, doing something for the diaspora. Being an immigrant and feeling American and this whole confusion is very hard to sift through. And every single person who has that experience has to sift through it because that is also America. And it's not really changing. And the fact that this music is combining so many things and it's combining so many different types of listeners. Like when you, when I look out into the crowd at my shows, it's like, yeah, there's all these young hipster Williamsburg people. And then there are all these older white people who like Sufi music. And then there's like the entire black community. And then there's queer communities across the entire age range. And they're all in the same room standing around each other. And that doesn't really happen. You see people and their crowds are really segregated and it takes a very long time. It takes a lot to build and gain the trust of these followers and have them then all come and see you and they all be in the same room. Like that's really political. There's the uncles and aunties from Jersey, from Philly, from Rhode Island. Everyone's in the room. And sometimes people are commenting, they're like, you know, like I thought there was just it's just gonna be all these brown people. And I'm just like that's not what I'm doing. Everyone's there because the music has everyone inside of it. Like there's something there for each of these people. And that's doing a thing. Like who broke Obama's heart? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wonder what he made of the lyrics, right? I am so curious. I just want to be in that headspace. <laughs> yeah, like why do we not know anything about this? Like we just have no access to that whole thing. We can't talk to him. He's just ghosted us after doing this yeah, really epic yeah, gesture. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no explanation. <laughs> mm. 
you know I've been listening to your stuff for a really, really long time. Honestly, one of the coolest moments for me in recent memory was, you know, seeing you do Coke Studio finally, I guess, if that's a thing we can say. But hearing the, like, you-ness in it, I know your sound. It was really cool to hear that that was in there and that that was, like, preserved and it didn't get lost. I hadn't given a shit about Coke Studio in maybe 10 years. And obviously this season initially it started off really with a bang and it was all just like interesting visually and stuff. But then yours specifically had that kind of like you element in it. What are some of the craziest post Vulture Prince moments that you've had? You know, whether it's like looking out into the audience and seeing uh, the faces that you were saying or just like what are some of the things that you're just like, oh, wow, okay, things are like really different and amazing and maybe weird now the coke studio was definitely fun because that's kind of how zulfi approached me he was like i want you because i know you i've known you since a levels and i've listened to your music for all of this whole entire time and uh i i respect your what you bring to the table and i don't want to change it so will you do this because i was like hmm <laughs> I don't know, you know, I don't want to do... Because we know, yeah, like what you said, like we know what goes down, you know? <laughs> and I was like, if that's what's going to be going down, then I don't want to do... Like, I obviously... It never got to that point because he already started the conversation being like, I know that you are not going to want to do this. What goes down? I think Uh-oh. what Aruj and I are talking about is the formulaic <laughs> nature of yeah. a big show like that, which is nobody... It's just sort of becomes something bigger than is and then it's just sort it's of like, hard to retain an individuality over an over like 18 20 songs when there's only one producer and music director and it's just and there's so many diverse artists on board but the, even even if for a season but yeah we're sh- yeah. we're firing too many shots at coke studio <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so zulfi was like hey man i just want you to do you like you have a lot of creative license in fact you can have all of the creative license and i was like okay great this is this is exactly what i wanted to hear and the song is you know it's beautiful and as for hussein wrote these amazing lyrics and i was just like cello like already a lot of the work is done and i just kind of need to show up and do my thing and like produce the music in a way that it it is me and we just did that and that felt really nice and super refreshing and it is what it is it's coke studio but it's still yeah like you said it was nice to to take up space in that platform it was nice to see it come out i never really i guess i didn't really know what that would feel like and it's cool it's just like a really big it's just a really big platform that all of south asia is obsessed with and so when it came out, it did that, which is very cool, I think. And then while I was there, you know, the Grammys were nominated, were, the nominations were announced. It's been just really, really wonderful to see how this record has reached the depths of people's hearts in a way. It's just doing something really deeper to people from Obama to Time magazine to the nominations. And nominations are not just, it's not a nod from like the Academy because it's actually the entire voting member body of the music industry. So it's like 
a bunch of people voted for these records. And that's a massive, massive nod. I think that that really means something because you also just like can't, you, not everybody can just be a voting member in the industry. So it's kind of really big. When I think about it quietly at night on my balcony with a nice beverage, <laughs> um, I'm like, wow, man. <laughs> so I don't know. Those are Those are some of the sweet... Those are some of the sweet... I mean, playing Coachella feels really nuts. Like, some of these, like, festival posters rolling out and yeah. my name is really big. That's been really cool to see. Because, you know, you don't really get to say. Like, you just you just get booked and then they put your name wherever. And they've just been automatically putting my name, like, pretty big. And I'm just like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> is this that moment, like, that we... That I've been waiting for? Like, is it here now? That's so nice. mentioned Coachella you mentioned your Grammy nomination the way it's framed is like first Pakistani female to be nominated for Grammy it's like thanks Nusrat <laughs> for <Yeah>. nothing <laughs> now we just have to make this this definition this qualifier for absolutely why I was going to ask you why <laughs> what do you how do you feel about this qualifier that was my question <laughs> nobody even knew that okay, huh. okay? And they were like, and then it turns up that fucking Nusrat had done this already. And so, because I was like, why are yeah. they saying that? That's wrong. You know, like that doesn't make any sense. And then they were like, oh no, actually it's a fact that Nusrat is the first, he's the first male, I will say, Pakistani nominee, but definitely not the first any in the, in these categories, right? So you've released, what, three albums so far? Mm -hmm. Do you still feel connected to the version of yourself that released those albums? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I there's definitely like the natural sort of cringe when I listen to the first one, but also <laughs> like, but that's just normal, right? Because we just keep evolving musically and you have to be okay with who you were when you were doing that. It's just part of this. These are our children, you know, this is our legacy at the risk of sounding too self-important but this is our history that we're leaving behind so i do feel i know who i was then in the first one mm. and the second one and really excited to explore all my split personalities uh, as we keep going <laughs> <laughs> identity crises <laughs> all over the world now <laughs> I wanted to ask you about, so this technically are the reason Shaj is guest co-hosting uh, season 13 here. It's actually, it's actually a season about love and relationships and stuff. And we've had all sorts of different guests. My mom was on an episode. It was pretty amazing. Um, I'm assuming you have a long-term partner at the moment based on your Instagram feed. I'm not 100% sure um, because I haven't actually, I feel like we've been trying to hang out for like five years. Uh, if that is indeed the case, or even if not, what do you think as like a creator or like a quote unquote creative being, uh, what is the value of of having a person like that in your life? And question number two nestled within that, as I usually do, do you think it's important for that person to be 
of a similar ilk, you know, whether that's like at least like work wise or, or what, what they do for a living or, or at least to kind of like understand that part of you? Or are you like me who I mean, in, for me, like my partner, she's not necessarily like a a creator in like her job, but she has a much better taste in music than I do. She supports <laughs> like my crazy ass lifestyle and she's just a very like centering person for me. So I, I kind of was just wondering, what is that? What does that like look like for you? Yeah, I feel like. You know, your access to my private Instagram account has been abused <laughs> in this uh, interview at this moment. Because if you look at my public Instagram, I don't really post anything about my partner. But chalo, koi baat nahi. Um, <laughs> that is the theme of the thing. Yeah, uh, my partner is a lawyer. And you're right. You're absolutely right. Like, it is so tremendous to have someone who is like this grounding person, this a person who like is also just looking out for you is your best friend is like has your best interest at heart i think as a musician dating a lawyer is pretty awesome like for us you know what i mean oh yeah mine <laughs> mine is a neuroscientist so so you, you know, know it's it is really really tremendous and you know i've dated a lot of like crazy people and i'm so happy that like i am at a point in my life where my partner and i really like are in sync and are good to each other I've dated people who are just like, I don't really understand your music. And I'm just like looking back and like, why was I with this person? That is like the fundament. That's the one thing that you actually should understand. You know, like, how can I thrive when the person inside of my own home doesn't get it? You know, like, that's so ridiculous. That reminds me of when Lauren, in the first few times that we met, and this came up about a year later, where she was like, you know, because at the time I had taken a little bit of a break from music, I was getting sober and stuff, and she was like, you know, you, you tried to be all cool and be like, yeah, I used to be in this band, it was like no big deal or whatever, and she was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, I really hope this band doesn't suck, because <laughs> if if the band is terrible, I don't know if this is going to work. Yeah, so it's really nice. And also at this point, there is a degree of slowing down and, and, and building something together. But also I think it's good for us to kind of start going into that direction to make bigger and better things. So yeah, that's kind of what's happening just here with my partner and my cat in Brooklyn. Yeah, and, and we can tell it sounds like there's like a party or something starting outside. Yeah. So it's probably a good time. I just want to say thank you. Thank you. This was wonderful we had a lot of fun and yeah. we can't wait for you to produce more music so that we can listen to it <laughs> you guys should listen to the new song with anushka shankar can it. i tell you a funny story about that Aruj? Tell me, so tell me. when you first released udherona i before mm -hmm. i heard it i saw the title and i thought that it was udherona like move the fuck <laughs> over <laughs> <laughs> so, that's my that's my stupid that is american so funny, disney story <laughs> i literally thought it was like is that a udorona? like like that's that's what i thought the, the song was gonna be so that is how is i wanted to tell you that for a long time and wow. now you just re-release the song so great awesome. <laughs> <laughs> i guess udorona is also that's that's the same thing it's like just please in get some, away in some yeah. transcendental neo-sufi sense yeah it's yeah. the same yeah it's the same this was great dude. great thank this is so much. great thank and you Aruj. thanks yeah catch you at one of these shows absolutely all right talk to you soon okay bye 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 
Today's episode was written by Sarah Doe, edited by Bronte Cook, and produced by Kylie C. Roberts and me, Sadia Khan, with help from Asad Butt from Refillion Media. Special thanks to our development producer, Lisa Kazmi. Take care.